Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I think art and creativity make the world go around, make life worth living. And I love to talk to people who do those things, especially when they're people that do those things that I didn't know they were doing them. So let's like today's guest is Will Nolan. I met Will in like 2004, 2005, 2006, when I was one of the hosts of a syndicated gay radio show called Radio with a Twist. Will was one of the producers. He would try to get the celebrities to be interviewed and try to line up, you know, affiliates for us and all of that stuff. He, and I, I always thought he was awesome. But I got an email from him last week saying he was coming to L.A. to perform in his show called Gay History for Straight People, performing in drag as a character named Leona. Now, I did not know this side of Will, so I was like, what's going on? I reached out to him, and now we did a podcast. So I'm up to speed, and you will be too when you listen to our interview. But before we get to that, I want to remind you there are now two ways you can listen to the show, Dennis Anyone. You can listen, as you always do, on your favorite podcast app. Or for twelve ninety five a month, you can become a subscriber to DNR Studios. What does that mean? Well, what it means is you get my show and a bunch of other shows like the Derek and Romaine Show, Perfect Date with Tom Goss, The Focus Group, The Adam Sank Show, all these great shows. And uh, you get them earlier than you normally would. And you get to support some of your favorite podcasters and, and personalities out there, which would be awesome. So learn about that at dnrstudios.com. Also, I have a voicemail if you ever want to leave a question or a comment about something you hear on the show. Go to 1-888-647-9653, and we might play it on the show. Uh, that's enough of the plugs. Here now is the interview with Will Nolan. All right, joining me now via Zoom, it's Will Nolan, my long-lost friend Will Nolan, who is a writer and performer who's got a show coming up here in Los Angeles. Hi, Will. Hi, how are you? Good. We knew each other back in the Radio with a Twist days. It was a radio show that I was one of three hosts from that was syndicated and, and we played pop music and we did gay stuff and you were involved in that show. And I, yeah, I was a producer, I yes, guess that works so for I'm me. Intern. Yeah. Um, like that was like 2004, yeah, 2004, five, six, like the, yeah, the, the glory years of radio with a twist. It was a fun, <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. We would do like, Countdown, the big gay seven of songs of the week. And there are still songs that I hear on the radio. And I'm like, oh, that's a twist song. A lot yeah. of Fergie. Yeah, Fergie. Yeah, I was, gonna, I was what, about to say that. What my, songs? My humps. my humps. What songs make you think of Radio with a Twist? Rihanna. Certain Rihanna songs were very Radio with a Twist. On to um, replay. Yes. Will used to always make the joke about her forehead being a landing pad. <laughs> Right, Will Weichel, one of the other co-hosts, and now she's a cherished. She's a cherished icon, and we icon. don't we don't make fun of people's foreheads anymore. We can't. No, no. I don't know if we Katie, can. Katie Tunstall. That's oh the one that yes, the cherry heart, the cherry tree. Oh, yeah, the cherry tree. Yeah, yeah, and we did a lot of um, pocket full of sunshine. Uh, whoever that Natasha Bedingfield. Thank you. And she uh, was in studio. She came into the studio right. once. We would do celebrity interviews. And so my favorite my favorite twist story with the yes. celebrity, and this is very relevant for today considering she's back. Yes. Um, Beyonce was on, and she was calling from, do you remember that? And she was going to call from a plane, and we had this tiny little window that we were going to be able to record with her, but right. three hours, a three-hour time span that she may call in. Right. And my job was to sit in a room while you three amazing hosts were doing your thing and stare at a phone with a red light waiting for it to blink. <laughs> you know what's amazing to me is I don't remember Beyonce. I don't remember that. But she, did, a lot of big stars did our show. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a syndicated radio show. It was like what you would hear on, like, Kiss 105 or whatever, like very mainstream pop radio with a gay twist, hence the title. Um, there was Melissa Carter down in Atlanta and Will Weichel in New York, and that changed. We had Ben Harvey and some other people. Jason Drew did it. But anyway, it was very mainstream, and we would get big stars. So you had to stare at the phone waiting for Beyonce to call. Yeah. Did she Did she call? Yeah, she called. Yeah. And, and we, we got, uh, we you got know, her, 10 minutes. We got like, her in the can. One of you guys, I think it was you, got a laugh out of her. So Did that I? was cool. Yeah. <laughs> Thank and, you. And the, other, the other fun one was Rob Thomas. Oh, he and, was cool. I remember him being very gay of, friendly. Yeah. And we asked him about the gay rumors because he's always had those. And he was like, I love it. Yeah. He was but, all about it. It was mid-2000s. 
We were playing yes. Sweet Escape by Gwen Stefani. I do remember, do you remember this? <laughs> were you uh, working on the show when Larry Kramer was one of the guests? Um, like, like the icon Larry Kramer, no, the activist? Yeah. It was like, it was like LGBT Awareness Month or something. There was some reason we were highlighting yeah. him. We highlighted Barney Frank. And um, Larry Kramer was kind of, could be tough, right? Yeah. And, and he, we were sort of asking him about, I don't know, we were trying to ask smart questions or whatever, but he was like, what have you done? Where, why aren't you marching? Like, he really turned the tables on us. And I'm like, we're just hosting a show. Like, it was, you know, and you know what? He was probably right. He was probably right. Uh, yeah. Um, the other memory I have, let's just talk about twists for two hours. Um, <laughs> I remember J-Lo was calling in. Like, we would have these short interviews with these celebrities, but they were big stars. And um, J-Lo... The energy between when we were rolling and not rolling with J-Lo, like, you know, sometimes people get on the phone and we're like, we're not quite ready yet. Like, All right, hi. Like, yeah. she was giving you nothing. Like, it was like, I am saving every ounce of warmth I have for when that thing is rolling and I am giving you nothing. Like, it was almost like icicles formed. And then when we turned it on, she was like, delightful J-Lo. But she was not giving you, I, I still remember the chill of it. Um before we started. But anyway. And that was that was probably your first time with Ben, too. Yeah, it was right after. It was, like, mid-2000s, so post-Ben. Yeah. What do you remember about Twist in terms of, like, gay people listening? Or you probably had more of an idea of the numbers and the affiliates and stuff like that. What was that time like? Yeah, I mean, my my main job was to, you know, call radio stations across the country and try to convince them. Um, along with, you know, our, our lead producer tried to convince them to put us on the air. And the show, if you remember, was like Sunday nights from yeah. you know, 10 to midnight or something. The idea being that it's like, it's a dead time for most radio stations. There's no risk. Like, right. put this on. And, um, and it turned out to be a great time. And the most amazing thing, and it's really affected my, my sort of other professional life since then, was the response we got from listeners because you really had like logo had just launched, but logo was really serious at that time. It was documentaries. It was like, I kind of called it PBS for gays, right? Right. Like it was big. And then you had will and grace, but you didn't have like accessible everyday people like you and Melissa and will that, um, the response that we got were from these kids in these states in the middle of the country who said, like, I was turning the dial and I came across, you know, the three of you talking about, like, just everyday things. And that's, like, I feel like I have friends now. Like, I feel like I have somebody who's, you know, who's who's living their life similarly to me. And it, because it wasn't, I mean, you were in L.A. And, and Will was in New York and Melissa was in Atlanta. So you're in these major cities, but it wasn't about, like all of your celebrity parties and stuff like that. It was, you know, whatever was from what I remember, at least whatever was on, you know, you all were going through and, and yeah, sometimes we would talk about listeners problems and stuff like it. it yeah. There were interesting features in the show. Yeah. yeah. Was, I do remember when we'd get a new affiliate, how exciting it would be like, Oh, we're on in Providence or wherever it was. It was, that was yeah. exciting. Yeah. That yeah. was like neat. I, I really cherish those times. So. And it's something that I think today you sort of take for granted. Like we, we don't need that in the same way, you know, like you don't need to, because it's, it's just not the same struggle that it was back then. So it was a, it was a pretty amazing thing. Yeah. It was fun. Were you in Provincetown when, when we were in the parade with Cindy Lauper? No, I, <laughs> no. I Melissa I like Carter a- and I were in the parade, in the parade float as part of the grand marshals for the yes. Young carnival with Cindy Lauper. And she showed up, um, with all of these decorations from like party city, cause she wanted to make sure the, the convertible looked festive. So she went, which I applaud. Like she went there, she had the bag. She had an assistant who's, who had this look in her eyes of terror, like a dog that had been beaten. Like the, I just will never forget that look in the assistant's eye, like any moment. And I, the, the convertible was overcrowded. So Melissa was in the front seat, practically riding in the glove compartment, just smashed up there. And I was next to Cindy Lopper. And she decided she was going to to sing a song of some sort, and she had a bullhorn, and oh. some, maybe some kind of instrument was playing. And anyway, and I I decided I would hold her lyrics and be of service. 
So I held her lyrics for like a, for two hours in this parade. And, and then, she's singing like, true colors over a No, I, I feel like it's my Vian Rose or something. I, that's my memory. <laughs> but I was next to her, like next to her. And afterwards, we all went to lunch at this thing. And she's like, so who were the other Guillaume Marshalls? And Melissa and I were like, we were in the car with you. Like we were there. Like she just didn't give us an ounce of anything. So, um, yeah, it, it was not... It was not my Cindy Lauper story for the ages, and and I just glanced up, and I have this giant collage that I made from Interview Magazine uh, pictures from the eighties, and Cindy Lauper is looking at me right now from that mural, like <laughs> you queen. I was serving it up for the community. I'm sorry I wasn't nice enough to you. It's not a nice look she's giving me. But later she performed at the P Town Town Hall or whatever, and we introduced her, and she did a concert, and she was amazing. So yeah. I just wondered if you might have been there for the Cindy Lauper parade. I think I was nursing a newborn. Yeah, you, know? you probably were. You probably were. Man, oh, wow. Okay. What a time. What a trip. Anyway, I loved that job. I loved that show, and I loved everyone that worked on it. So I was so happy to hear from you that you're coming to do a show in Los Angeles. And tell us, tell us what it's called, and then I want to get into the whole background of the show. So the show is called Gay History for Straight People. Right on. So important. Know. Yes, and we'll be a, a dynasty typewriter. And um, I, I've been playing a character named Leola, who is a 72-year-old lesbian from South Georgia, who is on a mission to heal the world one audience at a time. Sure. She, um, she works at the Piggly Wiggly okay. when she's not touring and healing, healing the world. And um, she believes in Jesus, Kelly Clarkson, and the power of a casserole to to help her in her mission. Does she age? Um, and so, you said she's 72. Does she she's age? 72. Or she she's always, always 72. She's always 72. She's like, <laughs> like a Simpson. Yeah. Um, I love it. She didn't come out until she was 70. Right. And uh, she came out by accident over the intercom at the Piggly Wiggly to her then husband, Gus, who she still roommates with. They share sure. a double wide on the coast of the Okie swamp in Waycross, Georgia. Right. And, um, He's in charge of aisle cleanup. She's in charge of the deli. So there's still a power couple in Waycross, kind of like the Beyonce and Jay-Z of, sure. of, of the Piggly Wiggly. Sure. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so she's super gay, super proud, and she has come up with a really factual, in-depth look at gay history, going starting with A and going all the way the alphabet, all the way through the alphabet to Z, um, touching on all of the important moments in queer history. How long have you been doing the show? Um, so this particular show I've been doing since um, 2019 is when I wrote it because it, it sort of the impetus of it was celebrating the 50 years of Stonewall. Right. And um, then there was that, you know, we all got that cough for a couple of years. So that right. put things on hold and then we came back. But I've done, this is my seventh different, seventh piece with the character. I have a whole series of shows that are sort of all about her evolution. Um, once her coming out story, there's, I have the gospel according to Kelly Clarkson, where she takes all of Kelly's canon to, to prove that she really is the second coming and Jesus right. is little sister. Um, Putting uh, "Grab Me by the Ladyland," putting the "Me" back in "Me Too," which is her her women empowerment show. Um, she considered a run for president in the last election, so she had a town hall to sort of feel things out and see if she wanted to do that. Um, so it's been it's been a, a whole bunch of different chapters, but "Gay History for Straight People" has been the one that has it's really resonated with um, with straight people. Do they particular. come? Do straight people oh, yeah. come? My, uh, my Leola's sweet spot is, um, middle-aged to senior citizen, uh, men and women. I straight, love that. How do you couples. get them to come? How um, does it, because well, a lot of them I'm, are like, I'm 80. I don't need to know this. I'm almost dead. I'm exhausted. That's my social circle anyway. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's just because I, Leola sort of falls into this weird category. I, you know, for better, or for worse, drag race and RuPaul and, and the world we live in have put drag. People have a certain, um, a certain idea of what drag is. Sure. And Leola is not 
a young image queen that lip syncs to, you know, today's hits. You're not doing any um, shablams or draft drops? No, no, no. If she did one shablam, uh, she wouldn't get back up. That'd be <laughs> that'd it. That'd be it. That'd be the end of it. That'd be the end of yeah. yeah. And me, because I can't. I mean, I'm 50, so I'm not doing that stuff either. Um, but uh, but I've, I've most of my venues have been theaters, which has brought a more, you know, straight like suburban audience to the shows. And that's been what's sort of helped her, her take off. Um, and you know, the gays like her too, but it's, right. it's nice to be all. And the other weird audience that really likes her are college kids. So go, go figure, bring which in the is, kids, bring in the co-eds. Exactly. One of the things I'm planning this fall with this show, considering everything going on politically right now, is um, trying to tour some colleges with it. Because it's a great way, one, to expose kids to queer history, the serious parts of the show, factual parts of the show, um, expose them to queer history, but also in a world where you can't say gay in certain states and voting rights, you know, all sorts of things are being taken away. I think the younger generation is just, they don't care about any of these things. So Leal is a great way to sort of empower them and remind them, like, you don't have to listen to old people who think they're in charge, just go out and vote and you can, you can change it also. Now, when we work together, I don't remember you talking about being a performer or maybe I was just in my own bubble and didn't (laughs) care about, um, other people on the other side of the country behind the waiting for Beyonce to call. But have you always been a performer? Has this always been something that you like to do? I, I've always been a writer. And um, I when I first moved to the city, so not too long after I met you, um, I was doing a sketch comedy with my best friend who also moved from Atlanta to New York around the same time. Right. And... Um, and I was like, I'm not going to get cast in things, so I might as well write what I want to do. And Leola actually came out of a sketch comedy uh, skit, one of the characters that I would do in the skit um, with my friends. So when I when I turned 40 years ago, I kind of had this, like, I have a son, and he was at an age where I was like, I can get back into my creative outlets. And a friend of mine emailed me and said, I'm taking a class to do a one-woman show. Do you want to join me? I was like... I just turned 42 and I want to do a one woman show. Right. And so I decided to sort of build, take this character that I had done in sketches and build her out and give her a story. And that's sort of how, how it all started. What are the roots of her herself? Does she talk like people in your family or people that you knew? Yeah. Like where does she come from? <laughs> so I, I was born and raised in Atlanta. I went to school in North Carolina. The minute I graduated college, I moved to New York and I haven't, lived anywhere else. I lived in LA for about 20 minutes, but, but other than that, I, I were 20 wonderful minutes, 20 wonderful minutes. We still talk about it. Yeah. Couldn't wait to leave. Um, no, but I, uh, I loved LA and I still love visiting, but the working thing didn't, didn't go so well. So when I, when, um, when I was growing up, I was surrounded by these incredible women, none of which were lesbians, but I, um, I'm essentially playing my mom in some of the, you know, as cheesy as it sounds, the steel magnolias that I was, I was raised with the great sure. Southern women I was raised with, but the, the lesbian sort of twist to Leola came about because I have had an uncle he's since passed, but he was a priest. Um, and I was named after him and he came out of the closet when he was 62 and retired from the priesthood. And I was the first person in the family that he told because I had just come out. And so I had always had sort of in my mind, this idea, I thought I was a late bloomer, but I was like 62. You've been completely celibate. You've dedicated your life to Jesus. He had this whole story about like, you know, Jesus was his boyfriend and it was great, but you know, he was never there to hold you. And right. So I was, I was fascinated by this, this older generation that, you know, for whatever reasons have put off coming out and, and embracing who they are. And, you know, we all know those, those dads that were married to those ladies and we're like, Oh no, he's gay. (laughs) He just, but they have kids and they live, live these lives. And so Leola kind of came from that. Right. You wanted to explore what it would be like to come out uh, that late. 
Did, yeah. Did yeah. anyone ever have a problem like like of you playing a lesbian? Was that you know? Cause there's so many things now where people are like, who can tell what yeah. story, right? Does yeah. Your your stuff is so fun and like warm hearted. Not yet. Yeah. Nobody's thrown anything. <laughs> I, I'm hoping to any lesbian fan yeah. friends that are out there, um, please give her a shot before yes, you judge. They would no. love it. It's yeah, and I've had the I I still say the greatest compliment I've ever had um, doing the show was um, a middle aged lesbian came up to me after the show and was like, I loved it. I had so much fun, and I feel like I have a new lesbian aunt. And I was like, okay, that's like an endorsement. Um, and and I totally get like you know there aren't a lot of it's probably a niche thing to have you know a middle aged man playing a older lesbian, a senior citizen lesbian. Right. Um, but uh, I've always kind of been one of those people who, when it comes to our community, yes, there are categories and labels and letters of the alphabet and everything and all that's important. But if we can, when we come together as a community, can break those things down and just find our, our similarities um, and have fun with it. And that's what, you know, Leola ultimately is coming from a loving place. It's not a show about, you know, all the crazy things lesbians do. There's a little bit of that, but there's a whole lot more against gay men. So yeah, they go down way harder. Where does, where do you shop for Leola or where does Leola shop? So Leola's wardrobe is almost entirely provided by uh, party city and (laughs) five below. What's five below? What is that? Oh, Dennis. Is that is that it, why you left LA? Because you needed to be close to uh, below? No, you have them here. I do? It's yes. It is um it's a store where everything is five dollars or less. That's the really? name five below. Okay. So it's a dollar sense. store with a heightened aesthetic. Sure, exactly. Exactly. They couldn't um, get away with the dollar thing. Um, and so since her color palette is rainbow, yeah. I can pretty much find stuff anywhere. She wears caftans. Sure. She wears things that are comfortable. Um, yeah. But yeah, Parton City and uh, Claire's Boutique, they got sure. a lot. You know, JoJo C was been the greatest thing for Leola because, another lesbian, because she, um, her whole brand is rainbow. So a lot so of jewelry. You, just, you do a lot of JoJo Siwa collection stuff. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm a fan yeah. of JoJo because I watch So You Think You Can Dance. I watch all the dance shows. Um, yeah. I would love a branding like the, partnership if she's listening. Yeah, maybe um, she'll do it. She's up for She's like, <laughs> she's like 20 now or night. Like she's so young, but it feels like, oh, she feels like she's we, practically, I've been in the business forever, darling. Chain smoking. Exactly. And like, yeah. She's like a grand yeah. dom. And so you think you could dance. She's like 20. <laughs> she can't even buy a drink. Anyway, um, Kelly Clarkson is an obsession of Leola's. And it, she's also somewhat of an obsession of mine. Where did the Kelly fixation come from? So I, I too, I'm a huge Kelly fan, and I think that she is. Um, when I started, I thought she was such an underappreciated talent because her her voice, her her um, her musical abilities are like insane. I mean, it's just, and she does it with such ease and everything. And but I would put Pink in a similar category, like the, sure. they're sort of all like real singers who just don't happen to be in these pop star packages um and i've i'm always i grew up with indigo girls i am like lilith fair is my soundtrack so i love all of them and for the kids who don't know that was like a lesbian coachella um so uh it's um i always love like that sort of singer songwriter vibe so that resonated with kelly but also from a comedic standpoint yeah it's just a name that again at the time this was like at least 10 years ago, if not more, when I was starting the, the Kelly Clarkson fixation for Leola was starting, she was one of those names like Carrie Underwood was the bigger idol, Jennifer right. Hudson, for these other. And now, I think in large part because of Leola, Kelly Clarkson's the household name, the multi winner. Yes, she's got a million TV shows. And yes, yeah. we really. But when Kelly was on Idol, if you were a fan of hers, and I was, you felt like you were discovering this diamond in the rough because she wasn't the yeah. one they were building up. You're like, she would get by every week and you're like, no, she's the star. She's, yeah. she's the one, Simon. Why are you, Tamira? Yeah, fine. Justin, you're cute. Yeah, we get it. But it was Kelly. And, and if you felt like that, you felt like you were in on something on the ground floor. Like you oh, really yeah. did feel like you anointed her as the American population. 
Well, and you bring up you bring up the American Alley, the American Idol finale. Part of what Leola has done is taken that finale to prove that it's essentially Kelly's nativity. It's the it's the <laughs> and uh, for in April. Um, Who is Paula I, I, Abdul in that scenario? Is she is she she's she's, she's the Holy Spirit because yeah. nobody really knows what the Holy Spirit does. There's the Simon they're the there, Randy. They're there. They're there. It's important. <laughs> But we don't exactly know why or what they do. Yeah. Okay. I go um, at tracks. But I, I do this. I do a show in the city with Leola every month um, at a amazing space called the Green Room Forty Two, and it's a, more of a talk show format where I have different guests that are like Broadway artists, upcoming cabaret shows at the Green Room Forty Two, other artists that are just sort of in my in my sphere of of friends and stuff, and. Um, in April, we always celebrate Kellymas because that's when she was born, April 24th, 1982. So um, this past year, um, this past April, Justin Guarini was my guest. What? Yeah. And so... I'm still rooting for him. I know. I, just he's, in life. I just think he's winning. He's so nice. He's the sweetest person in the world. Um, there's no, the, there's no switch that turns on him waiting to do the interview and him doing it. And this was like, he yeah, unlike never met JLo, him. which we've established. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I had to do a zoom interview with him because he was, uh, he was busy. He had just finished doing the new Britney Spears musical. I'm right. Um, yeah. He yeah. plays Prince Charming in that. Um, and then he was going to film the little Dr. Pepper character that he does right you know, he's, he's in the Pepper, dr pepper commercials but um but i i it, he, he was great talking about that night and he was like he said to the producers she has to win like there will be such a revolt <laughs> if, if she, she loses doesn't win. so and even win. justin knew justin he knew like, right don't let it be me don't let it be me yeah wow that's really interesting everything worked out what's your favorite kelly song i'll go first beautiful disaster Oh, good one. That's it's on kind of two a deep albums. Cut. It's kind of a yeah. deep cut, but yeah. it's a gorgeous ballad. And it was on her first song produced, and then she stripped it down for her second album. Um, yeah. Big, big fan of it. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, I like a new song from her latest Christmas album called Blessed. Interesting. Um, that's a deep cut. Yeah, it's really good. But of the of the big hits, um, I love Mr. Know-It-All. Sure. And um, probably because of you. Oh, yeah. The it, one about her mom not letting her have a rich life. Yeah. Yeah. She let it. Yeah. She let it. She laid it out. She yeah. Like it was. I, I mean, I, you know, it's. Yeah. I love Kelly Clarkson. I love the story of how you got into this at 40. You decided that you wanted to, to scratch this creative itch, right? Did yeah. it feel like a risk? Like, what if, what if I fall on my face? Or what if I. How did that feel to be trying something new at an age when a lot of people are like, I, this is who I am. This is what I do. I'm kind of done. Yeah, I think it, you know, I mean, I've always had like the day job and performing writing has been the side hustle. And I think I sort of just because of my age didn't really care. Yeah, like there was, a, there was sort of a no ego or huge ego there because of it. Um, no, but I, I, I was like, I think this is funny. And I think her, I think her journey is going to resonate with people. And my favorite part of doing any of the shows is it's this like laugh, laugh, laugh. It's inappropriate. It's all of these things. And then she sort of hits you in the gut with this heart and this real message. When I was putting together gay history, like I said, it goes through the alphabet and I knew I wanted the letter S to be Stonewall because it was the anniversary at the time. And in doing my research and trying to become a better gay myself, I learned, you know, about the, the presence and the impact of the trans community on Stonewall, which I was ashamed not to have known more about, but like, I was like, well, if S is Stonewall, then T has to be, you know, the transgender community and the role that they played in our, in our, gay our gay history right. um but up until you get to that point in the alphabet is like a whole a mess and then it becomes sort of a mess afterward i mean there's some other 
meaningful things throughout, but it's, um, so I, I, what, what's actually probably been a little bit riskier is doing the character today because I think, and I know you're, you're in the comedy biz. It's, um, it, it, it's easy. The, the lines have changed about what you can get by with. Leola is an equal opportunity offender and she's doing it all from a place of love. So, so far, knock on Ikea furniture, right? I've been able to get by with a lot and, and she pushes, she pushes the bar. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's a much different world and I've had to change the way I say things, you know, some of the things I say, and I don't, some things that were a joke pre pandemic, (laughs) you know, aren't anymore and stuff like that. And those are pivots that I'm happy to make. Um, but, um, but there are also things that this character is not going to be correct about because that's what part of it's, you know, yeah, an older, an, a woman of a certain age living in the South just doesn't care in the same no, way doesn't. about what she says. She doesn't release her words the same way that we may. Right. Does she say bless their heart a lot about when she's say, oh, talking? Yeah, bless your heart is, yeah. is you know, something good's coming. Yeah, something good's coming. <laughs> What's her casserole? What's her best casserole? So probably her go-to is, um, there's two, there's funeral potatoes, which sounds misleading. (laughs) You don't just take them to funerals. I love that it's um, called funeral potatoes. That's amazing. Nothing has more than four or five ingredients, but the, uh, it's a potato casserole that, um, it's essentially just hash browns, cream of mushroom soup, which is a go-to and sour cream and melted butter and shredded cheese all thrown together with, um, cornflakes that have been cooked uh sauteed in butter on top of it wow cornflakes so you take sauteed that, in butter that's that's a winner yeah so it gets nice and crispy and it's perfect if you have a friend who's had a hysterectomy and they can't cook they can't get on their feet right. the other one is tuna wiggly which is essentially you know macaroni and cheese tuna peas and potato chips crumbled on top yeah i remember when i was a kid and there would be potlucks and you did have an awareness of whose dish was popular. Oh, oh yeah. Nobody's eating Mrs. Johnson's. Yeah, no. There's... Nobody, they, no one wants to go near that. Like, it's oh, but, but you would have pro- yeah, if your mom did well, if your dish did well, it was like a, a pride thing in your family. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I noticed in your bio, you were part of the show Mortified, which I remember. Uh, it yes. became a book. And it was people telling real stories about their adolescence. Is that right? Yeah, it's um, it's people reading from their actual diaries. Oh, so you had so, a diary to read from? So I had a I had a diary with like a handful of entries, maybe. Right. What and story did the, you tell? What did you talk about? Um, so the story I tell is about uh, being um, how old? I think I was not ten years old. I, I've done it so many times, I can't believe I can't remember exactly how old I was. But I was playing with my friend Drake. We, I was climbing a tree. He tied me to the tree and he took my shoes and he threw them in the street and he left. And so I went home and I, you know, I got my shoes. I, I fell in a puddle during all of this. I go home. I tell my mom, I don't know if I can cuss on here, so I won't. Yeah, you can totally cuss. Okay. So I go home and I tell my mom, she said, what, where's Drake? And I said, Drake is a motherfucking ass shithole, which was the cuss word I had learned was the worst thing you could say because it was all of them put yeah. together. Mother like fucking yeah. And she was in group therapy at the time. So she told me that I needed to call him to tell him how I feel. Cause that's what you do. And that's what she was doing with my dad at the time when she was having um, arguments with him. And so she made me call him and I did. And then he laughed and hung up the phone. And that was the whole, was the whole thing, man. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you tried. So, but, you tried to step up and do the enlightened thing, I, <laughs> and it blew up in your face. I don't know that I have a son now. I would never give him the same advice. But um, yeah. it was it was crazy though because during the twenty minutes I lived in L.A., um, a friend hooked me up with um, Dave Nadelberg, who created Mortify, and right. I did. I think I did like the second performance that they did like ever. And it really took off and they had, you know, regular folks, they had people who weren't performers of any sort. And then they had celebrities who were, who were getting up and reading their, 
their diaries. And we, we filmed a pilot for Comedy Central that never went anywhere. They took my entry and animated it to this YouTube video. Like, oh, So it's on YouTube. You can watch it. Yeah. It's called I Hate Drake. I hate Drake. Um, well, you should. He's a... He's a what, mother what, fucking what I don't mother know. fucking ass shithole. Yes, all of which it, which is the worst curse ever. Um, yeah, and then they've done books, and my entries in one of the books. So it's and it's one of these things that like you've probably had in your career too. Like it just pops up every two or three years. I'll get this random email like, "Hey, are you around? And do you want it?" They they do it monthly in Brooklyn, and so I just did it in June during Pride Month. Um, I read the same entry. So in a they, way, they, you should be grateful to Drake. That he oh, yeah. gave you, you know, this little uh, cottage creative outlet. Um, exactly. When you were researching for your gay history, what surprised you? What's something you learned about where you were like, wow, I didn't quite know that? Um, a couple of things did. There were one thing which is, like, shameful to admit probably, but, like, I was looking at, you know, M is for milk, and I do a little thing about Harvey Milk, but I part of what I wanted to do was highlight other LGBTQ plus heroes that we may not know about that don't right. have the same spotlight. And so looking like you take for granted things like someone created the pride flag, like somebody made that. Right. His name is Robert Baker. And like what what the the thought was behind, you know, what the pride flag was or the woman who um, a bisexual woman named uh, Brenda Howard, who came up with the idea of pride, like let's have a, let's have an all day celebration on, you know, this date in June and then let's turn it into a weekend and then let's make it a week. And now, you know, flash forward to 2022 and you go to your LinkedIn and all the companies have rainbow flag, but it's, you go to Target and you can buy Pride stuff. So there was a, a woman named Barbara Giddings who went to the American Psychological Association and she demanded that um, homosexuality be removed as a mental disorder because, you know, for years, I mean, I think up until the late 60s, early 70s, it was considered, it was something you treated with, you know, um, electroshock therapy. So like, I, I knew of I knew of some of the people I right. didn't know of like there's so I mean and the list goes on and on and on. Um, the other thing was there are there are terms there are are things that we say in our community, um, many of which that have you know gone outside of uh, you know reached beyond our community. Little sayings and stuff that I didn't know the origin of, like friend of Dorothy. I I was like, what? I mean, I guess that's just because we all like Wizard of Oz, right? That's what I thought. And Judy Garland, but there's actually a line in um, the second book in this in the Wizard of Oz series or the wonderful Wizard of Oz series, where a character says uh, character says to um, Dorothy, uh, "You you have um, all of your friends are so queer." something along the lines of your friends are so queer and she says, and that's why I love them or, or something like she embraces the queerness of the friends. And so that's, that was sort of like, that became, you know, I'm a friend of Dorothy too. Yeah. And, and then that became a code that you would see, you know, on a cruise ship, like the friends right. of Dorothy are meeting in the Acapulco deck at 11 o'clock. Right. I love a, a cruise ship gay meetup and there's only ever one person there. I've been to a few. Oh, of them. Yeah. There's only the, the, people don't really show for those, but we love the, sort that of walk, there. You sort of walk in and you're like, yeah, I'm not that gay. <laughs> you're, you, um, you do sort of, a, you don't want to commit, right? You don't want to just plop down and be like, I'm here. You're like, let's see how weird these people are first. No, because, we're going to be well, stuck with them for the whole cruise. We're just going to cruise the cruise, like <laughs> go right through. I don't know if does like Atlantis have like a friend of, I don't know, Tom Selleck or something maybe. that like where the straights go. Like maybe they, they need do. It. Maybe they flip the, maybe they flip the script. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now dynasty typewriter where you're playing in LA, very hip venue. So kudos on that. Like how so did that come about? Heard. I mean, you know, they found me and they begged me to come and I, I said, sure. Right on. It, that's one story. The other one <laughs> is that um, my husband grew up in uh, in Northridge here in the San Fernando Valley, and right. he, um, uh, Jamie, one of the founders of Dynasty Typewriter, they did Little Shop of Horrors together when I they were it. in middle school and um, reconnected pre-pandemic, 
And um, I was, I was like, oh, I have this show. I think it'd be great for your venue. And then, like, literally, they were like, well, we're sort of watching this virus thing, right? And so it, it that all came to a stop. And um, this spring, I sort of reached back out, and you know, they're busy and getting back up to some sort of normalcy and everything. And when I reached out um, a few weeks ago and said, like, I'm going to be there on these dates and it looks like you may have openings. Would you be interested? And they said, sure. Um, Hey, it's a really cool venue. Really? Like the list of people just next week when I'm on is crazy. Like Rachel Bloom is doing a show, um, which would be start with Leola on Wednesday and then see her on Saturday. Um, yeah, just but like, stay. Yeah, just stay. Um, but seeing the list of the people who have been there has been really exciting. They've been so incredible and lovely to work with. And um, and then the latest uh, sort of element to it is we've um, decided to make it a fundraiser. And a portion of all the tickets will be going towards um, a great uh, L.A.-based um, LGBTQ plus organization. I love that. And you have to get a good photo with the marquee because the marquee is really cool. I, I don't know if they do the name up there, but if I see Leola up there, there'll be tears. Um, you mentioned being a father. You yes. and your husband were one of the first couples I remember having a child. We are the first. You are the But in my world, you are the first. <laughs> yeah, so no, if it, you told me your son was 30, so how old is your son now? He will be 16 next month. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It, Teenagers. It's, it's, it's yeah, I know. It's um, it's crazy because we were in again in our. There have been incredible people who have laid the groundwork for for all of us who are following this path. But we, in our circle of friends, both gay and straight, we were the first gay wedding that most people went to. Again, it was during the the short time period that we lived out here, and so all of our New York friends were like a wedding in February where it's 75 degrees. That's amazing. Um, but we got married in 2004 and it was the same weekend that um, Gavin Newsom was doing the illegal gay weddings right. up in San Francisco that were later, you know, annulled or whatever process that they went through before they became finally became legal. Um, so people were like, Oh, you got like legally married in San Francisco. And we we're like, no, we had a, a commitment ceremony in Burbank, but yeah. it still for us, it was, you know, it, both of us had sisters that had had big weddings and it was our big wedding. And we got to make it all up because again, we had literally no handbook, nothing to compare it to. Um, and the same thing sort of went with, uh, when we decided to adopt, we, we, you know, ran, read Dan Savage's book. That was sort of our guide to, uh, um, because we did an open adoption like Dan and his partner did. And, um, it was, uh, an unbelievable experience. It still is, but, uh, but at the time, like it was just this crazy sort of journey that everything just lined up exactly how it was supposed to. And I was doing twist with you guys when we got the call, actually the day that he was born, I, we were on our way to, he was born in Lancaster, Pennsylvania in Amish country. So we're in a car on the way there and I get a call just as twist is taping. Right. And, um, it's, uh, former New Jersey governor, Jim McGreevy. Remember that guy. Yes. He was cute. He was cute. Like you could sing. He was interested to that. Yeah. Um, but his book had just come out. He was going to be on twist. And he's like, hi, Will. this is, uh, this is Jim McGreevy. And I'm outside of the studio. And I was like, Oh, um, so I'm not there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting my son's about to be born. So anyway, that was, that was another twist. Crazy sort of memory. Yeah. Somehow we got him into the studio because I do remember talking to him. But we did. You were one of the first people that I knew, you know, the first couples. Um, what surprised you about being a father? And honestly, as cheesy as it sounds, there's surprises every day. What I didn't expect, I didn't have a whole lot of experience with um, adoption and what that meant or didn't mean. I didn't know. You know, I didn't have, like, a lot of friends who had kids that they had adopted. And I, I just didn't know, like how does that feel? Like, how does that feel internally when you, when you meet your child for the first time and everything? And we could not have made 
if that was possible. Um, we could not have made a kid that was any more the two of us, you know, that was any more our own. And the love and the the sort of that um, that kind of savage sort of protection happened like he was born at 641 and at 643 we were back there and the nurse is cleaning cleaning him up and uh my husband and i were like if this doesn't work out we're running to mexico like we, we will take him in a car and leave because he's ours like he he like made eye contact and we were like okay that's done right. so forever yeah. Um, so that's, that was, that was incredible. Um, but I also think like, there's just sort of re going through like the process of learning everything, like having this little blank slate, that's like witnessing everything for the first time, learning stuff And our son's an old soul and he's very observant and he, he sort of drinks up every, his surroundings and everything has been really fascinating. Like, you sort of, he's, we're starting the driving process now. And I was like, what, you don't have any, like, there's no reason for you to know things like what the mirrors are for and that you need to do like, and that's sort of representative of everything. Like, I remember we were like, Oh, you don't know that you hold the spoon or you like, right. You sort of are teaching like everything. Um, yeah. There's another break. You have to do this break too. And just like yeah. things that we take for granted, you realize that they're starting from scratch. He wants to use both of his feet because his, he likes the way he doesn't want one of his shoes to get scrunched up and the other one, not like, you know, there's a lot to think about. We all know about scrunchy shoes. We all know, we all know the price you can pay. Now you said it's an open adoption, which meant you had a relationship with the, with the birth mother. Yeah. Right. And is that part of your life? Yeah. She actually picked us um, from, like, you know, a group of parents, and it was really important for her to have um, a gay couple, and we, um, she she was a self-proclaimed fag hag, and she felt like it was something, you know, since she had made the the, the hard decision that she wasn't ready to, to raise a child to, um, to help, you know, a gay couple that... Uh, that wanted children. And so that was amazing. And yeah, thanks to, especially thanks to social media, we share photos and stay in touch and, and all of that. So it's, um, and we were actually in the delivery room when he was born, we were, um, we were in charge of the music. She wanted us to DJ. Oh my gosh. So what we did you play? Spinning tune. Did you play uh, anything from the big a seven on radio with a twist? Here's Gwen Stefani coming in at number four. Uh, yeah, no, you didn't play I Promiscuous know. by Nelly Furtado? Oh, my gosh, right? What happened to Nelly? Like, she had that huge... Yeah. After I'm Like a Bird, she had that huge bump with Promiscuous and, and all I of the stuff. I think we killed her on Radio with a Twist. Oh, we overexposed her, and it was too much for the world to handle. Uh, <laughs> Hips Don't Lie, that was another big twist song. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, but she was... Um, our birth mom is a big uh, Broadway fan, so we played Rent. But I when know. he was... Actually born, um, Ani DeFranco was playing. Oh, wow. Yeah, some song, and not to be cliche, but some song about hating men. And <laughs> George Bush was giving a speech on the TV, and it was muted. So I just remember that, like, wow. wow. <laughs> that's, that's quite a picture. That's quite a picture. Yeah. All right, before we started, you picked a couple questions from my observation deck. Um, what was on your lunchbox as a kid, and, and how did you feel about it? All right, so I had an evolution of lunchboxes. I oh, was thinking I, I love about a journey. That. We're going on a journey. I, yeah, so I started with um, a Disney World lunchbox because Disney World and I were born the same year, and so really taking I was like preschool age. So I had a Disney World one that had the monorail on it, which I was like, all I ever wanted to do in my life was go on the monorail because I thought that was the coolest thing. It was the future. Then I moved, yeah, exactly. Then I moved on to Fonzie. I was obsessed with Fonzie. He was so sexy. And yet now you I, look at it and you're like, that was Henry Winkler. And yet yeah. he was super sexy. Yeah. Like a great character actor now was this like pinup back then. Yeah. And everyone always called me when I was growing up. I had much like super bright orange hair. Everybody called me Opie Taylor. Then when I got older, I was Richie Cunningham. So there was a whole like happy day thing going on. But my favorite lunchbox was Dukes of Hazard because I was... Are Just you, a are you a Tom Wolpat or a John Schneider fan? Uh, John Schneider, Bo Duke. Bo Duke, the blonde. The I, blonde. I like a Tom Wopat. Um, 
But you know what? They're both aging really well. So they are. And, but Bo, uh, John Schneider, um, to use his formal name, he was, uh, he grew up in Atlanta where I did. And we found his mom in the phone book and would crank call her to feel like we were calling <laughs> the Dukes. And you then crank call John Schneider's mother. Yeah. I, I mean, then, so, I feel like you should have to do some kind of, you have to make up for that. That's, you can't <laughs> die with that on your conscience. I don't know if you have to write a check to a foundation. I don't know what you need to do, but you <laughs> need to clean that up before you leave this earth. I know. I know. You may be right. I was boss hog for one Halloween. Um, <laughs> Cooter was our congressman. So wow. the actor who played Cooter, there were like Cooter for Congress, which is great for a lesbian show. Um, uh, all over town growing up. And then Daisy was like Catherine Bach. I yeah, mean, a goddess. I never was into that show, but I would remember them obviously when they would be in magazines or come on battle with the network stars or whatever. I would say, check out the reruns, but I'm not sure that that's one that's really playing. Yeah, these days. No, it's probably not that cool. Um, and the other question you picked from the observation deck is what's your favorite random celebrity sighting? So the very first time I ever came to LA um, was in, it was the summer before my junior year in high school and my parents brought my sister and I, and um, we went to, uh, we went to a taping of, um, we wanted to go to the, to the tonight show and we actually got tickets, but you had to be 16 and my sister wasn't 16. Oh, so they were sisters like, ruin everything. Totally ruined everything. So instead, we went to see a filming of the hit game show, Animal Crackups, hosted by Alan Thick. Right on. With celebrity panelist um, Janine Kasem. Oh, wow. With the blonde hair and yeah. everything. Yeah. And fun story, we were there, and um, this kid is like this other teenage boy is like totally hitting on my sister. And like, he wouldn't leave her alone. And she's like, what I was like, take her, like go yeah. We can get into Johnny Carson. So, um, she <laughs> turns out it was Alan Thicke's son, Robin. Robin Thicke was hitting on your sister at Animal I know. Blurred lines could have been my brother-in-law. Right. But was she into it? Was she in? No, no not into it. Wow. No. Blurred lines. We would have played that on twist if we had lasted another yeah, 10 years. Totally. Um, but so that was that was like our first sort of like collection of celebrities and i can't remember who the other guests were and then we got to see wheel of fortune being filmed and i was a huge i had vanna white on my ceiling in my room vanna white poster so that was like i love that you had vanna white posters i love vanna because she was like this is enough this is enough i'm gonna stick with this for decades yeah. And she doesn't even turn the letters anymore. No, she just it's touches just, them. She just walks and touches. Yeah. yeah. And this was back when they were like, I don't know if you remember the prize things that rotated. Yeah. And then be like the there was always the Dalmatian that you ceramic could get. Dalmatian you would buy, yeah. Seven fifty or whatever, and like you bought your so Yeah. It's good. Yeah, I always I've always wanted to spin the wheel. I always wanted to know what it felt like to spin the wheel. And the price yeah. is white wheel, which I heard is quite heavy. But um yeah. I wanted to more than even being on the show, I just want to spin the wheel. I want to know what it feels like. Um, so tell people how they can learn about Leola and also the show that you have next week in L.A. We're going to get this out the day before it, um, the day before it happens. So oh, great. Hopefully yeah. a few folks will see it and, 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 and go down and see you. So uh, yeah, tell folks absolutely. the info. So um, leolasladyland.com has all of, all of the information, the sh upcoming shows, the show in New York. All of her, she's all over the social mediums. She's on the MyFace and the, the Twatter and the Snapchat and the... All the, the stuff. Uh, all the stuff at Leola's Ladyland for right all social medias. Um, and, uh, yeah, the show is next Wednesday, the 10th at 7.30 at Dynasty Typewriter. And like I mentioned, um, the a portion of the proceeds are going towards Open Books, which is this great organization that is providing age-appropriate LGBTQ plus literature to um, public schools all across California and eventually around the country to make sure kids have, you know, great literature that they can look at and feel like they they're reading their stories. They're feeling seen. I love that. That's such a good, it's a great idea and uh, an important thing. Um, before I let you go, I have a final question. You know, I met you through twist in this different capacity 
And it's so cool to see this other side of you and that you've created this thing, this little cottage industry of Leola. Oh, thank you. My question is, what has it meant to you in your life to have this? It, you know, I was, <laughs> I was going to, I grew up a shy child and I, I, my mom literally had a book that she borrowed from another friend. My best friend was also a shy child called Raising the Shy Child. And I was just, you know, now we would call that introverted. Right. <laughs> but I've always been like, you know, I love I love making people laugh. I, I love like, especially these days, like there's so much, um, there's, it's just, there's so much to drag you down. The greatest joy in being Leola has been bringing like feeling like I'm bringing light to the world through this character that she's so anyone who's met her really loves her and, and enjoys like the time. And it's been this great, I'm not a political person. My social media is like my personal social media is my kid, you know, our family, it's going to Broadway shows and an occasional picture of a meal. Like it's really boring in our cats because we're kind of lesbians. Um, but through Leola, I can comment on the world again in a way where it's not trying to be to take a stand one way or the other, but to show, you know, multiple views. And, um, and that's been, I didn't know that I needed a platform per se, but it's been that it's been this great way. I'm on this sort of short hiatus this summer for the New York show where, where I'm in residency and with everything happening in the world, I'm like, I, I can't, like Leola would have so much to say and I have to wait till the fall. I mean, I could do videos, but Leola, she doesn't know how to use the, she doesn't know the I'm camera. She doesn't know the, she doesn't know the gadgets. No. I can't do a TikTok. She, I bust a head. <laughs> <laughs> like I feel the exact same way. Well, Will, it's been very fun talking to you. I'm going to try to catch the show and figure it out in my schedule and see if I can see you. It would be really fun yes, to reconnect. Do. And, uh, I'm so glad you reach out. Um, so congrats and, and have a break a leg, break a hip and um, have some solid casserole, whatever it is. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Will Nolan. If you're in L.A., go see his show on the 10th of August, Gay History for Straight People. I know that's very soon. That's why I'm dropping this episode early. But maybe you can go see it. Uh, Leona Ladyland is his website, dot com. All right. So this happened. As you know, I host these virtual game nights online of You Don't Know My Life, right? And so the other day I got an email from, there's a company that books us to do corporate events of, of You Don't Know My Life. And they just needed a host for this other event. Like they needed somebody to run a Zoom room. And so I was like, yeah, I, I think I could do that. So it was for a nonprofit out of New York and they had people in Columbia and Nairobi. And it was like, and so I did it this morning and it was really fun. And it was, they had performers, and I was, like, monitoring the chat. The point is I have a new side hustle, which is um, virtual Zoom host person. I don't know. Um, it was kind of a trip, but, they're, you know, I'm getting a, a nice little payday for it. And uh, it was wild, and I didn't have to leave the house at all. My dog sat on the bed. I may, I may have been wearing shoes. I don't remember. But um, there you go. So when I got the email, I, I kept thinking of all the things that could go wrong, like, what if my Wi-Fi goes out or I'm not the right fit or whatever? And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to say yes and then just fake it till I make it. And it went great. So there's a lesson there somewhere. All right. That's enough for this week. Thank you for listening. And before I let you go, I want to give a shout out to AJ Sousa for helping um, mix the episodes and also helping me with the mic and technical things. And anytime I have a question, he's right there to help me out, which I really appreciate. Also, thanks to JB Bercy for the additional technical support. My theme music is composed by Mark Daniels for placement music. That's enough for this week. We will see you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.